Well, it's a uh, pleasure once again to be before you uh, sharing the Word of God. I was um, blessed this week. My wife sent me a video of my son at home, and uh, Peter being my only son, I told my girls last night, is the only one capable or has the potential of actually standing and preaching the Word of God uh, one day in the future uh, on a pulpit or in front of a pulpit, so, um, but he was, he was practicing being a preacher, and so he had his, it wasn't even a Bible, it was like a journal, I think, and he was, you know, telling everybody to, to turn to chapter two, and, and as he turned to chapter two, he was reading, and, and he said, and the Bible says, obey your teachers, <laughs> and he was, he was pretending to preach, and, it just reminded me of, um, you know, my role as a father and just how uh, my son uh, mimics me and imitates me. And as we've talked about those things, what an amazing responsibility that is uh, to, to, uh, to have that, uh, that child always looking, always watching. And um, it, it definitely relates to our sermon series that we're in today and as we're continuing um, as you can see, the title is The Essence of Christian Leadership, and really the idea is, is, is that as we begin chapter 2 of this book in 1 Thessalonians, what we're going to see and what we're going to focus on is what a Christian leader looks like. Now, from the beginning, I want us to start off by thinking this way. Uh, this sermon today is not about how to be a leader in the church, although it relates to Christian leaders in the church. I don't want to narrow this, this, this sermon down to the point to think, oh, well, Nathan's talking about Christian leaders in the church, so this has nothing to do with me. But instead, I want us to look at the life of Paul as he describes his, himself to the Thessalonians and how he describes his ministry to them. And I want us to think of ourselves in the same way of saying, how can we learn from Paul how to be Christian leaders, period? How to be leaders that are believers in Christ in the world around us? How do I lead my family? How do I lead in my job? How do, I, how, how do I make an impact in the world around me as a Christian who leads? And so that's what I think that we can learn from these, uh, these characteristics of Paul, this essence of Christian leadership. Because we are always in the op- having the opportunity to lead. I mean, we have opportunities... To, to, to lead people in so many different ways. And unfortunately, we have to stand out from the other leaders in the world that lead secularly. We have to stand out and, and lead in a way that is different from them because we possess something that they don't have, and that is truth. So as we look at uh, this second chapter of 1 Thessalonians today, what we're going to see is that Paul is leading and, and, and I think challenges us to be leaders that have uh, and possess truth. So we lead in the way that we lead. We always lead from truth. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Paul begins chapter 2 after he commends uh, the Thessalonians in chapter 1. He begins to, I guess in a way, uh, dissect or diagram his own ministry to them. And many people, and, and I would probably agree with many scholars that say that Paul is defending his ministry uh, he's uh, a Christian leader, he's a church leader, and so he comes under attack constantly in his ministry. Matter of fact, we looked back 
at his life and ministry in Philippi before he came to Thessalonica and how he was in, imprisoned and beaten. Um, and so we see that, that as a Christian leader, even Paul faced difficulty. He faced suffering, and he led beyond that. He led in the midst of that, as he says. And so he says, if you look with me in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, You know, brothers... You yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but although we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And that's really the two verses we're going to focus on this this, uh, morning, because what I want us to focus on is one of the, the main ingredients of, of leadership is boldness, or in the, in the relationship to Paul, divine boldness. Divine boldness. And that's the topic that we're going to talk about today. See, Paul was a, uh, a man that um, I think was probably a bold man before Christ. Uh, we, we can't say that uh, boldness is absent of people that don't know Christ. I think that there are many leaders in the world that are bold, that are willing to speak up. And, and a lot of times they're speaking up in the realm of truth, even though they may not actually contain truth. They, they speak as if they know the truth, even though they truly don't know Christ, who is the true source of truth, if we could say it that way. And so um, we, we can't say that boldness is not a, we can say that boldness is a characteristic of many leaders, but what we are called to do is to speak a different kind of boldness, because the word boldness actually is a compound word in the Greek that means to speak all truth. That's what it means. It's three little words put together that mean to speak all truth. And so if we are going to define boldness in our homes, if we're going to be bold in our homes, if we're going to be bold in our workplace, if we're going to be bold in the church and in the community, what we have to do is go, do we have divine boldness? That is a passion to speak all the truth. And of course, that truth comes from our relationship with Jesus Christ. He is the source of our truth. And so if we can think about uh, in, in, in the scripture, we can see examples of boldness. Obviously, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is a great example of boldness. In Luke chapter 4, if you want to turn there with me, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, we see uh, our, our, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ going back to Nazareth. He's going back to his hometown. And there, in verse 16, we see him displaying a boldness not just a boldness with people, but a boldness with truth. Look in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 4. Look at what he says. I'm sorry, I'm in, I'm in John chapter 4. That's bold too. That's the Samaritan woman. And he came to Nazareth where he, Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll, and he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he had anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of the sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. 
and the eyes of, uh, of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at his gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his own hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and they drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, uh, he went away. What, a, what an amazing, bold confrontation that Jesus has with these religious leaders in his own hometown. People that he knew, people that he grew up listening to and learning from. And he begins to read this messianic prophecy about the Messiah who is to come. And he's reading this, this book from, or this, this portion of scripture from Isaiah 61, a messianic prophecy. And he says in complete boldness, speaking the truth, today this scripture is fulfilled. In essence, he's, this is his claim to being the Messiah. Now, this is a bold claim. This is basically, Jesus is saying to them, I am the Messiah. I am God. I am God in your midst. I am the one you have uh, come to, to see. And it's almost like their reaction, they don't even understand what he's saying. And because they, they, it says that they are marveled at his gracious words, and then they, they, he begins to just challenge them even more and, and challenge their thinking. And he uses uh, what we would call a kind of illustration to say, and, and, and the Messiah comes and he doesn't provide the salvation that you're thinking. He's coming to provide salvation to the Gentiles. And, and where do we get that? Well, because he, he mentions two prophets and, and he talks about how Elijah and Elisha came, but he didn't, they didn't come to serve the Jews, they came to serve Gentiles. The widow in Zarephath and Naaman the Syrian, those were Gentile people. And those prophets went and, and, and helped them and, 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 and found aid from them. And so Jesus is basically saying to these Jews, I am the Messiah, okay, which is a radical statement. And as the Messiah comes, he is coming to bring good news to Gentiles. And this was, a, this was an offensive thing to them. But what was it? It was the truth. He was, he was willing to speak the truth of God to these people. And I think that as we begin to think about divine boldness, we look at our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, and over and over in His earthly ministry, He exhibited divine boldness. A boldness that doesn't come from Him, it came from the Holy Spirit, it came from His passion and His desire to serve others, it came from His desire to be obedient to the will of the Father and His plan for Him. 
And so we have uh, a couple points about divine boldness as you and I begin to think about how can we be leaders that have boldness in our lives? How can we be leaders in the church and in the world as we, be, we begin to go out and, and reach this community? How can we be divine leaders as we go to our workplace and, and stand for truth? And the, the essence begins with our belief in God and His character. Divine boldness comes from our belief in God's character and not in belief in ourselves. See, the world says, hey, look, if you want to be bold, just believe in yourself. You know, just, just tell yourself that you're going to be strong and you're going to be courageous and you're going to be bold. Find it within the inner man of yourself. Well, the Bible teaches us that the inner man is wicked. The Bible teaches us that the inner man is selfish. And so if we're going to find boldness in the inner man, then our boldness is not going to be divine. It's going to be uh, human. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be self-seeking. It's going to be arrogant. It's not going to be humble. And so we have to say then that from the beginning, our boldness comes in our belief in who God's character, who God says he is. Matter of fact, if you look in, back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, Paul says, We've suffered and, been, and have been shamefully treated, as you know, but we had boldness in our God. We had boldness in our God. That is a, uh, the source of our boldness coming from God. Now, isn't it interesting that we learn um, and, and, and hear the word boldness, but, but we hear it oftentimes, especially in the book of Hebrews, not referring to evangelism, but instead referring to our relationship with God? That we have to, first of all, before we can have boldness to go out into the world, we have to have boldness to actually approach the throne of God's grace. Hebrews chapter 10 says that when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us, for after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law on their hearts, write them on their minds, and I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. That's Hebrews chapter 10, starting at verse 12. And what do we learn from those passages and others in Hebrews? Is that we, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, we, the Bible says, can approach the throne of God's grace with boldness. Why? Because God is a holy and righteous God. He is holy and, and cannot stand before sin. He cannot uh, have sin in His presence. And so there is no possible way that you or I can ever enter into the presence of God. We, we, it's incapable or it, it's un, we are unable to do it because of our sinfulness. And so Christ goes and he, get, he comes down into the, uh, with, as God in the flesh and he sacrifices his life for us. And in the blood that was shed for us and the body that was broken, he provides atonement for our sin. So thus we are cleansed from our sin and able to actually approach the throne of God's grace. Stand in his holiness, stand before him even in the midst of our sin. Why? Because our sin has been washed away. In the eyes of God, we are perfect, and so we have boldness to stand before a holy God. 
Now, what does that have to do with boldness in the world? Because if we don't understand that boldness, then what do we have to tell the other world, the world around us about Jesus? If we don't understand the boldness and the confidence that we have to stand before a holy God who could, enter, who could, who could easily destroy us because of our sin, but through Jesus we have access to Him, instead of, of, of being able to uh, be destroyed because of our wickedness, we can stand and bring our requests, as the Bible says, before a holy God. We have so much to say to the world around us because we have that access, because we have that confidence. And so Hebrews 10 is just an example that our boldness comes from God because we have boldness to, to approach God, as we could say. And so this confidence to, to be bold as Christian leaders starts with our relationship with Jesus Christ. But it also has to do with our understanding of who God is. Think about it for a second. When you have a desire and a passion to share the gospel with someone, think about that. One of the reasons that we don't is because we fear. And fear is the opposite of boldness. And fear is a sin, and boldness is a, is a virtue of Christian character. It's wrought by the Holy Spirit. It is the opposite of our sinfulness. And so I want us to think about something for a second. When we fear sharing the gospel, when we fear being bold, one of the reasons we do so is because we fear failure. We fear failure. And so what have we done? When we fear failing in sharing Christ, when we fear failing being bold in sharing the gospel, we are forgetting the character of God. Because the character of God says that God is at work in all things because of His sovereignty and His will will not be thwarted. If it's God's plan for a person to be saved, His will will not be thwarted. And so if we can trust in the sovereignty of God, if we can trust that God's plan is for, for people to be saved, then we don't have to fear rejection. Because we aren't being rejected, God is being rejected. And if it's God's plan for them to be saved, brothers and sisters, they will be saved. There is nothing that we can do to thwart that plan. The second thing we fear is rejection. Not only do we fear failure, but we take it personal. We fear rejection. We go and, and we want to share the gospel with someone. We think, oh, but I don't want them to reject me. I don't want them to think different about me. Well, brothers and sisters, when we fear rejection, we are finding our identity in what people think about us and not our identity in Christ. Christ Jesus has not rejected us. He has brought us into his family as brothers and sisters of God, right? We are, we are sons and daughters of God. We are brothers and sisters with Christ. Romans chapter 8 says, So then, brothers, we are, not, we are debtors not to flesh, to live according to the flesh. He says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, if by the Spirit you are put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are what? Sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons who by we cry, Abba, Father. And the Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Man, what an amazing, uh, I guess, challenge to our fear of failure is to be reminded that it doesn't matter as we go out in the world to share the gospel, that people reject what we say. 
Jesus says that when they reject what we say about him, they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting him. And on top of that, it shouldn't matter if we are rejected by our boldness and our, our divine uh, declaration of the gospel because we are accepted in son, as sons and daughters of God. We are his children, and thus we must not fear failure. We must not fear rejection. You know, there's a story uh, of, a, of a large ship on the open sea, and uh, this ship was in a giant, violent storm. And the passengers were so afraid and they were, they were going to and fro. They were collecting their possessions and they were, they were finding and keeping their family close at hand and putting on their life vest and loosening the, the life rafts in case the, the ship went down. And the, the, the ship's crew remembered that the, uh, there was a young girl down the, the hull of the ship asleep and that they, needed to, they were responsible for her and they needed to find her. So they went down and they found her. And this child was sleeping peacefully at the bottom of this ship. She, had, she knew of the storm and she knew what was going on, but she wasn't afraid. And they said, why are you not afraid? Why are you not upset? And she said, because my father is the captain of this ship. And that's exactly how we need to think in our lives as believers is that our father is at work. And so we can be bold and we can trust in what he's doing and trust in his sovereignty to accomplish all of his purposes. My favorite verse in, in I think all of scripture, Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heaven, in the heavens, he does all that he what? He pleases. He does all that he pleases. And so we must trust in God's character and from that find divine boldness. Number two, boldness comes not from our understanding of our own word, but the understanding of God's word. And that's where, of course, we learn of God's character. But look at what he says in, in, in 1 Thessalonians again. Paul says, look, he says, We had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of conflict. Now listen, I told you, I think last week or two weeks ago, that there were many gospels in this day. There were many gospels. Caesar could, uh, he had good news. He had the gospel that, that he would proclaim if there was a birth in, in uh, the Roman Empire that, that was to be proclaimed. And so Paul makes it a point. This is the gospel of God. This is the good news of God. And we have the gospel of God found in the word of God. And so as we think about the, the word of God, we find boldness in this. We find boldness in this. Why? Because the word of God is true. We, we don't find boldness in, in, in the word of God if we don't think that all of God's word is true. But when we know that God never lies, that his character, he is always truthful. He is always diligent to speak truth because he is faithful and he is righteous and he is true. Then all of his words are true. So when we believe his character, we believe his word. Psalm 119 says, your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. And so in a world of dishonesty, in a world of uncertainty, in a world of error, we have the boldness to speak truth because we possess the truth in his word. This is true, folks, for all people. This is the truth that people look for, they yearn for it. They may reject it, but this is the truth that they need. This is the truth that, that will cleanse them. This is the truth that will uh, guide them to eternal life. And they may find truth in other things that they, they consider what is real and what is true, 
But they, it is, that is error. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so God's Word contains the truth of Christ. All of God's Word is about Jesus. And so we contain the gospel of truth. And that's what we're there to, to proclaim to the world. When you guys are at work and you maybe discover things that are going on that are not, that are not right, that, that passion to stand up for truth, that conviction to stand up for truth is not built upon social's, social uh, society's uh, mor- morality. We don't, we don't choose to not lie or steal because we may get fired. We choose to not lie or steal because we, we desire to be as God is, and that is holy. We desire to be as God is, and that is true and righteous. And so the Word of God is our conviction, and it drives us to be bold in what we stand for and what we speak as we stand for God's Word. Not only is God's Word true, but God's Word is eternal. 1 Peter chapter 1 tells us that uh, the flower fades, the gra- the, all flesh is like grass, and, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower, flower fades. Or falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Folks, we can have divine boldness in our, as leaders in the church. We can have divine boldness in the world because the word of God is eternal. It is amazing to me that men of, of the Reformation, that men of Christian history read the same Bible that I did, maybe in a different translation, maybe in a different uh, a form, but they, they were the exact same words. They were reading those same words, and they were finding the same truths that I find thousands of years ago. As, as we think about uh, people in, in foreign countries, as missionaries go and, and they enter into a, a, a native village, that native village has no language, written, written language. They have no formal written way of communication. They just speak in sounds. And, and, and missionaries have to go in and they have to literally like, create a language for these, for these tribes. But yet, you can go in with the powerful living Word of God, and you can share the Word of God and and, and teach them the Word, and the Word of God can change them. And the Word of God applies to them just as much as it applies to us today. Because it's eternal. It never changes. It never dies off. It never fades. It lasts for eternity. And the last thing is that it's alive. The Word of God is living, Hebrews 4 tells us. It's living and it's Active, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the vision of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You know, we think about the, the, the words that, that cloud our world today, that have impact on us. If I read the newspaper or Time magazine or my favorite novel, that may impact me, may change my life, and I may want to be a better person because of the news article I read or because of a novel uh, that, that I may come across. But when my, when my, when my day comes when I'm dead, that, that, that information that I gain from that novel or that article doesn't impact my life beyond that. That's it. But the Word of God in its eternality, in its, in its, in its uh, vivacity, in the, in the way that it's alive, it, is, it, is, it changes me for eternity. 
And it changes the people that we take it to for eternity. So folks, we we can't look at this book as another book on our shelf. We look at this book as a life-giving book of God's Word. It is all it is breathed out, 2 Timothy chapter 3, as we know. It is breathed out and profitable for people to be reproved, to be corrected, to be trained in righteousness so that we can be complete and equipped for every good work. It's what we need. And so, folks, if this word is true, if this word is eternal, if this word gives life because of what it contains of Jesus, then we have confidence in that. We have boldness that we're not trying to sell Avon door to door. We're not trying to sell Tupperware to to the people around us and and, and hope that in confidence that this is a pretty good product. This is a life-changing product. And it's been given to us, as Paul says, entrusted to us. And so we find divine boldness from the Word of God and what it contains. Number three, we find divine boldness from the Spirit of God, not from our human power. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And if I was going to entitle this chapter Acts chapter 4, I would entitle this chapter the chapter of boldness. Acts chapter 4 as early on the, in Christian ministry for the church, uh, Peter and, um, and John are out sharing the gospel. They've just healed a lame beggar in chapter 3, and they are proclaiming the gospel to those around. Look in Acts chapter 4 for me. It says, And they were speaking to the people. The priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. This is the early stages of the church. Now on the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you And to all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before uh, you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by by which we must be saved. Amen. What a powerful statement before the religious leaders. Let's keep going. Verse 13. But when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they had perceived that they were uneducated, common men. They were astonished. Notice in verse 8, Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and he began to preach. And look at verse 13. And they saw the boldness of Peter and John. What was, that, what was the source of that boldness? the Spirit's power within them. Verse 14, But seeing the man who, had been, uh, who was healed standing the, beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they conv- commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? 
for that a notable sign has been performed through, men, through them as evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may not spread further among the people, let us warn them to speak no, uh, no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them, because the people, for all, were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign was of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to the friends and reported to the chief priests and the elders what they said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers uh, were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy uh, servant Jesus. In verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with what? With boldness. Man, what an amazing, I know it's a long passage, but what an amazing example of the Holy Spirit's power, the source of our boldness that comes into our lives and that fuels that desire that we have to speak all truth. The desire that we have to stand before people and speak the gospel. Folks, listen, I don't have a human desire to stand up and preach to you every week. I'm going to tell you, that is not a desire that comes from my own humanity. That is a desire that God has given me to explain the scriptures so that God's word can change people's lives. I wasn't a public speaker in high school before Christ. I, I, wasn't a, 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 I wasn't on the debate team. I wasn't a lawyer. I didn't have anything within me. I don't, I don't even really like to hear myself talk, which my wife may disagree with. But the point is, is that it, it's not something in me, and yet God has given me this desire to preach the gospel. And folks, I'm going to be honest, preaching the gospel in any form takes boldness. As leaders in the church, as leaders in the world, we have to stand for the truth. And our desire to stand for the truth comes from the Holy Spirit of God because the Holy Spirit of God is truth. And so we stand in the power of the Holy Spirit, fueled for the, the, the mission that God has given us to go and proclaim the gospel, to go and stand for truth in our workplaces. And folks, I'm going to be honest. We have to be bold to stand for truth in our homes. We have to be bold to stand for truth in our homes because every time we flip on the TV, every time we, we, we launch the internet, for some of y'all that may still be dial-up, you need to get, get rid of that, that's, that's too old, okay? 
and you crank on that internet and what happens? The world is, is pushing in your home and pushing in your family things that oppose God, oppose his word, oppose his holiness. It's in direct confrontation. And so what do we do? We have to stand in boldness to turn off the TV. We have to stand in boldness to redirect and correct the things that our children see, the things that our children hear in public schools and private schools and in, in the world around us. It's everywhere. And guys, we, we can't go home and relax and go, man, I'm glad I'm in this safe haven of, of truth because we're not. We should talk to our kids. We should talk to our grandkids. We should make sure that they understand who Jesus Christ is, what he has come to do, what of all of Scripture, how it points to Christ, and, and what, where eternal life truly comes from. In a world of, of, of dealing with issues like abortion and homosexuality, there's all kinds of ideas out there that are not true. And we have to bring those things to the attention of people in our lives and be willing to stand boldly for truth. And I think we can learn a lesson from Acts chapter 4 because in Acts chapter 4, the believers pray for boldness. They pray for boldness. They're asking the Holy Spirit, will you give us boldness? As I go to, to, to do what I'm called to do in this world, Will you give me boldness? And I think that that's an important message for us to remember because we will constantly battle the fear in this world, the fear of our flesh. We will constantly battle that. And so we must pray, God, give me boldness. Help me to kill the fear, kill the, the desire that I have to hold on to my reputation or hold on to uh, my, my standing before other people. But instead, Father, give me boldness to stand for truth, even if it means I'm rejected by all people. And the last thing Paul makes clear back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 is that boldness comes regardless of conflict, not in the absence of it. Boldness comes regardless of conflict, not in the absence of it. Paul was a man that had faced many trials. Paul was radically saved by Jesus. And as you, you can read in your own time in, uh, in Acts chapter 9, he actually begins to preach boldly as he's saved. Once the persecutor, persecutor of the church, once the one imprisoning Christians... Now he stands for Christ and immediately begins to preach boldly. And he began to suffer and suffer and suffer as he went from city to city and town to town and region to region. And he mentions this in uh, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, You know that our coming to you is not in vain, but although we had suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God. What is he saying? He's saying, look, we left Philippi, we had been put in prison, they ripped our clothes off and they beat us, and we still came to your city and proclaimed the gospel to you. Even in the midst of much conflict, we had boldness to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has entrusted this to me, and so in the midst of conflict, I continued to be bold to share the gospel with you. And that's what we are called to do, brothers and sisters, regardless of the conflict, regardless of the trials that we face, regardless of the suffering, we are called to be bold and stand for the truth 
that Jesus Christ has given us. We are the messengers. We are the, as, as, uh, as the Greek uh, lays out, we are the witnesses of Jesus, which is where we get the word martyr. We are the witnesses of what Jesus has have done. He has done this in our life. And we are witnesses to that in our own life. And so what are we to do? We are to share that testimony as witnesses on a witness stand with people of other uh, around us. And, and that witness is, look what Christ has done in me. Now, you may not be able to say that this morning. You may not be able to say, look what Christ has done in me. And so you can't share that with other people. And so my challenge to you today is not to, to, to share the gospel, but to believe the gospel. But when Christ has so changed you and so made you new and, and given you a new life in Him, may you have the boldness to go and share Christ and know that the conflict and the persecution and the, the ill treatment will come. And that's not an excuse to stop being bold, but instead to continue on. As Paul would go from town to town, he faced uh, difficulty and controversy when he went to Philippi. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was released by the sovereign work of God. And what happens? He, loses, he goes on to the next city. Jesus is the same way. Jesus took the disciples from city to city and, and shared the good news of the gospel. And at points where they were rejected, he shook the dust off his feet and he moved on to the next town. Because he expected it. He knew it was going to happen. And so as a Christian leader in our workplace, in our homes and in the world, we are called to be bold because of who God is and because of what God has done in our life. This was a really challenging message for me this week as I preached through this chapter 2 of, of um, Thessalonians. Uh, these are, are just as much applicable to my life and just as challenging to my life to say, Nathan, have you been bold the way that God has called you to be? And my challenge is the same to you. I, I pray that the Holy Spirit this morning has reminded you of moments in your life where you can be bold, places that God has placed you for you to stand and speak all the truth. And when you fail and you don't take advantage of that opportunity, don't live in the shame and the, uh, and the guilt because Jesus Christ has freed you from that. Don't allow Satan to hold this guilt and this shame and accuse you of what you have been freed from. Seek the forgiveness that Christ grants you and move forward to do and live in obedient boldness for Jesus Christ. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ this morning, if you don't know Him personally, then you are not called to be a Christian leader. You are called this morning to be a Christian. You are called to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. You are called to trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, as I said earlier, who went in and, and sacrificed His life so that you could boldly approach the throne of God, that you could stand before God in, in His complete holiness and not be afraid that you would be destroyed because of your sin because Jesus Christ has covered your sin. He has washed you clean. He's allowed you the access to go before God. Before we close, let me just um, finish with this one statement. Turn your, uh, your Bibles to 1 Peter and I'll be done. Because I think one of the things that I was really challenged with this week 
is what is the difference between boldness and brashness? Because I think that as we stand to give a defense for the hope that lies within us, as we stand to be bold, we need to make sure that we're bold and gentle at the same time. That the substance of our boldness is not brashness and not anger and not arrogance, but humility and love. We look in um, 1 Peter chapter 3. Let me just start in verse 13 and we'll be done. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if you should be God's will, if, if it, that should be for God's will, than for doing evil. I was challenged because I know that many times I've been bold for Christ and I've done it in a way that didn't proclaim the love of Christ. I may have been talking about the love of Christ with my mouth, but I may not have been saying it with my words. I may not have been expressing it with my body language. And, and so I think that the challenge for believers in Christ is to be bold and to, to be zealous and to be passionate, but to do it in a way that was gentle as Christ was gentle. As he stood there with the Samaritan woman, he was loving and gentle, and he shared with her the love and the hope of Jesus Christ that was in him, the life that, that he gave to those who believed in him. And so as we close this morning, as we stand and, 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 and meditate and think about boldness in our lives, may we reflect love and gentleness as Christ was loving and gentle with us, and we would do it with other people. Let's pray.